Welcome back to the Inklecast. Today we're going to be exploring Inkle's relationship with books and also have a little go at improving some book-based games. Ooh. So I'm uh, Tom. I'm John. I'm Joe. So when Inkle started off, we... Uh, we were always telling the story. We started off mm. working with book publishers, and our idea was to kind of nick a bit of game design, shove it in the world of books, and you know, yeah, make we money started off not not make, yeah, we started off not making games, or well, not in the sense that we we thought we were. Yeah, we um, used to talk about how we were going to have no UI at all. Yeah, so um, we were going to make a reading based experience, and we were going to bring some of our knowledge from game design and put that into books, digital books, where you have some agency over the story and. That was kind of our pitch to publishers. Yeah. One of the interesting things about it is that I think as a product, it was okay. It had its flaws. You, you couldn't quite tell that it was branching as, enough mm. for it to really feel interactive. It, it needed a Clementine will remember that sticker yeah. to appear. Victor Frankenstein will remember that. Well, the monster, rather. Um, but the other problem was the marketing. Like, book people feel quite under attack and they don't want games. And game people go, oh, I don't like books. So I think it kind of, in some ways it puts us in an unusual position that we... We can't really pretend that we have no interest in books. We definitely mm. had books there in our DNA somewhere. Yeah. And they mm. will be whatever we do. Next, mm. we can't pretend to be totally kind of, oh, we just do comics, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we've got to be honest about it. Yeah. But it's interesting how we've had to leave that market behind. Like, we tried working with some sort of professional publishers and we tried working with some professional authors and it's actually just a really different universe. Yeah. But that said, we do talk about IPs, book IPs, quite a lot. Like, I know you love your detective fiction. Yeah. Yeah. For a a long time, um, what we were doing, because we started by making a book-based project, Frankenstein, and so for a while, um, we did um, just think of different books and try to work out how they would be turned, how, how they could be made interactive and whether they had good affordances to be turned into a kind of an interactive story. And that's kind of where Around the World in 80 Days came from. I suppose one of the things we've discovered from doing that, though, is that most books don't have all that many good affordances. Like, obviously, off the back of 80 Days, we've talked about other Jules Verne Mm. books and... You know, a lot of people suggest Journey to the Centre of the Earth, and I think we, we got a little way into designing yeah. that, and then thought, hang on, there's nothing in the Centre of the Earth, even <laughs> in the fantastical Centre of the Earth. There's nothing really there. A dinosaurs, right? Yeah, there's, di- there's no, dinosaurs. That's, no, spoilers, spoilers. There are dinosaurs. <laughs> but there's not that many dinosaurs, so unless yeah. you actually make a game you're packing a bow and arrow and you're shooting the bloody dinosaurs, mm. I kind of so go play just On, on the good side, though... Um, Travelling in general is a perfect affordance for video games because almost almost all video games have some form of travelling in them, some kind of movement between spaces, and that's what made Around the World in Eighty Days perfect. That you the the world map was your game space, and you already have preconceptions of all these places in the world. So being able to choose your route around the world. It was kind of a perfect affordance for that. So is that what we should be doing? We should be finding more map-based books. Like, I don't know, there's a book called Passage to India. I've never read it, but it might be about (laughs) people going to India. There's that, uh, is it On the Road by Jack Kerouac? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You could do that. Murder on the Orient Express. Murder on the Orient Express. They don't actually do that much travelling in Murder on the Orient Express, because I think they get stuck in a snowdrift. Right, okay. I think, I can't remember now. Uh, Death on the Nile, though, one of my favourite Christie Mm. books. Again, the travel isn't all that important, but (laughs) Mm. yeah. So on that note, just to run a little exercise, I'm going to throw out a book. 
and we're going to have to riff on how that could work as a game, potentially. All okay. right, let's do this. Radio right. full panel game time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so first off, an obvious one, Harry Potter. Ah, now, oh. I've been thinking about this one for a while, because <laughs> I, I was about 17, maybe, when... I really started to get into Harry Potter. It was somewhere between books two and three. Um, and as a teenager, I just loved that world. I loved the sensation that you get from reading the books, that you can kind of go to go to this school and go to these classes. So I was always imagining that it would make a perfect um, sort of rock star style game, a bit like Bully. <laughs> no, no, not like GTA. <laughs> a bit, bit like Bully. So you have the full... The full Hogwarts. That's yeah, it's a rock star game, so the first thing we have to do is cut Hermione completely. We just can't have her. <laughs> oh, but I, I don't mind the idea that you're a different child at Hogwarts, and Hermione might exist somewhere. Yeah, you know, but... just doing yoga occasionally in a cutscene. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love the idea that you could make it a bit of an open world, also time-based, so you could make the game take place across a year, um, and you get to explore Hogwarts, go on little adventures. Not bad. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's kind it's of obvious, hard. but yeah, I, I no, kind of yeah, love yeah. it. I can see that. Oh, well, well see coming that. off the obvious one, Lord of the Rings. Oh, oh no, journey based. Yeah, journey based. It's just a sorcery game, isn't it? It's a sorcery game with slightly weirder magic. I yeah. Suppose. One of the things about Lord of the Rings, though, it does split into different characters, and they're in different places doing different things. That's so it's quite nice to make a sorcery game sorcery style game where you flip from this group over here to that group over there and then what mm. you do with the Ents in the I've forest always, can yeah. interact with what you do in Minas Tirith. I've, I've always loved the idea of a sorcery style game where you have kind of control over multiple counters mm. um, and you can move them across the board and possibly make strategic decisions about how you move them and but whilst simultaneously you're still getting the, the uh, sorcery 80 days style experience that so you've got mm. a story as you go and then when you meet up at a particular time at a particular place that's, it that's kind really of cool, cool. It, I mean it, it only needs to be lightly strategic decisions yeah. as well to be yeah. really interesting it yeah, wouldn't yeah. have to be completely baffling and complex or anything but would you want to really do um, the Lord of the Rings the actual story from the book or do you think you'd want to use the Middle Earth world I bet there is a side character somewhere in the Lord of the Rings who <laughs> whose arc is only implied at who you can yeah. really view. That would be the telltale approach. Like mm. this is the story of Samwise Baggin the Third, <laughs> <laughs> some random hobbit who appears yeah. in a party scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. I uh, I've got one. One that's come up a few times. Moby Dick. Oh yeah, okay. I've been thinking about. I don't know anything about Moby Dick. Yeah, no, okay. Okay. Moby Who Dick. knows about Moby Dick? Oh, this is me. I'm reading at the moment. It's on the side. Oh, good man. Cool. Um, I would love to do a proper roguelike game where you have to go around hunting whales, but make it proper grim, like Sun the Sea, but without any of that sort of funny charm. It's got just depressing. So you'd have to hunt a whale for two or three days, stick a harpoon in it, chase it. You'd lose men, they get thrown off the side, and then you bring it up alongside your ship and you have to carve it up for three days. Men are getting eaten by sharks. <laughs> proper depressing. This is Tom of the avant-garde um, thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody would play it. So do you play as Captain Ishmael? Is it Ishmael? He's uh, completely yeah, he's mad. Captain... No, he might be. I haven't got that far oh, yet. Oh, sorry. Don't spoil it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you'd have to play as the captain of the ship, really, because you've got to be in control of where the ship moves. Right, and the kind um, of all the resource management. Yeah, so, I think it definitely would be a game screen sort like, of thing. Though? It would surely it would look, yeah, it would look the same all the time, right? I think it'd or... just be a big open sea with your ship in the middle... And occasionally somebody just sort of shout land hoy, and if you don't plan your route properly, then you're just stuck in the ocean with nothing and everybody Don't dies horribly to a slow death <laughs> yeah but I mean that's yeah. what Sun the Sea does as well you just make it a lot more depressing I, tell you, I quite like to do 
something with the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Okay. We once worked on that for a, a poetry app with Penguin, yeah. and I always thought there's a lot of really cool stuff in that. Okay, I, n- I never got now. very far reading it. Isn't that the one that's multiple, like, seven parts? Seven, so yeah, we, um, well, we split it up into seven we split, parts. It's a very long poem anyway, yeah. yeah. And it's got some really crazy stuff in the middle of okay, it. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, that was always good on the subject of boats and seas. And mm. Oh, I think it's a good setting. Yeah. All right, I've got another one. Um, Jeeves and Worcester. I don't know. Oh, right, okay, so 20s, 30s novels, you have Bertie Worcester, who's this bachelor who's constantly accidentally getting engaged to people, and he's too decent, or he's not really allowed to break off the (laughs) engagement, but he doesn't want to marry them because they're all awful. He's always been made to do silly things by his aunt, so it's a farce about sort of stealing this thing from Uncle Crab and whatever. (laughs) And in the end, his butler comes in, his butler Jeeves, shimmers in and sorts everything out by using some clever device. And it's a really, it's a very funny, the language in them, it's beautiful. But in a game like that, do you play as the hapless victim of all these circumstances? Or do you play as Jeeves, who only really does one thing in every book, but solves it? It's a bit right. like a detective story. So I get the impression that. you've thought about this before. So what would you do, John? You have to play as Bertie Worcester because it's, it's the most fun. Because all the, the meat of the book is him having terrible conversations with these women he's engaged to, who he can't be rude to. And trying to get into escapades and seeing everything go wrong. It's the broader mm. question of how do you make a farce? in a game like who are you are you controlling mm. the farce or are you in the farce but it'd be great if you could do it yeah that's actually a really good question I don't have an answer no I fair enough I'd, oh, I'd love to do that I'd love to do that <laughs> um, okay how about Ocean's Eleven I know that's not a book ooh, but okay. it's a good one though it's, oh, the it's, classic it's con a nice game, one con game yeah because yeah. you can see that that would make a really good uh it would, it would just make for really good mechanics, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just really appealing to play that, just to be the clever one that sets off this, like, the orchestra. Mm. This plot. Maybe you could do it as a kind of, um, like a, a, a set the things up and then they fall over game. Like mm. from, like Fantastic Contraption or something. So oh, yeah. you put the pieces in place at the beginning and you, you dictate the plan and then you stand back and it just it runs its physics. Oh, and it just does what happens. Yeah. So the guy's running down a corridor, but then mm. he slightly misses the moment where the hacker opens the lift door and he smashes into it and bounces that's and then brilliant. you lose that and go again. That's pretty cool. Like yeah, that Honda really advert cool. where the ball bearing goes around yeah. the tubes. <laughs> the only problem with that is it. that it makes me think... Well, it, it doesn't look like an Inkle game to me because no, no. <laughs> it, it looks like a kind of top-down 2D kind of grid. Yeah, that's what I think, like a puzzle game. game or yeah. Rude Goldberg. It, it is essentially a, yeah, a puzzle yeah. game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd play yeah. that, though. No, it yeah. just sounds, sounds like fun. fun. Oh, but you have to do better than top-down. Top-down is the, the last resort of the programmer. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. It works, though. Yeah, it's true. You can't see everything that's going on. All right, so this one's already been done, but Hitchhiker's Guide. There's a billion directions you could go with this, and I don't know if any of them are good. Yeah, mm. so there was the original Hitchhiker's Guide text game in the 80s, which I think was like the first computer game I played, or anyway, the first one I got really into. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they made a version for the BBC website about 20 years after to celebrate an anniversary. And then the company that did that got in touch with me at one point. I met some of them in a sort of text game meetup, and they got in touch with me and said, oh, We want to hire you for a project. And I got all excited. This is why I left teaching, I got all excited. And I started 
they said, we've got a new project, we can't tell you what it is, but it's with the BBC Radio 4. Mm. So I thought, oh, it'll be a sequel to the Hitchhiker's Game. So I started writing <laughs> one. And then they disappeared. I, I quit my job because I thought, this is it, I'm, I'm, I'm off. <laughs> and I started writing this game. And I wrote, didn't hear anything from them. I wrote them an email about two months later saying, hey, I've, I've started making a sequel to the Hitchhiker's in case that's what it is. And I've attached it. And I got a cease um, and desist letter. Oh. <laughs> you never <laughs> told me this before. Did I not? No, it, they were like, yeah, do not contact, delete all things in your source code because oh. it was just at the time that the film had been made and mm. so they'd clearly been being clobbered by Hollywood lawyers for making the BBC version oh, so here tragic. was me and it turned out eventually that they'd been in discussions to make a game based on the Archers <laughs> which if you're not in Britain that's a Radio 4 farming soap <laughs> and I it's quit the my, original soap basically <laughs> quit my job in order to write for the oh, Archers dear. and I didn't even get the gig so frankly oh, it's amazing that I haven't started there Oh, hang on though, just to throw this off, like you could do a great Emmerdale game. <laughs> you play as like the the landlord, you know, the pub landlord, and you'd serve drinks, and then people would tell you things, and you help them with their problems. That's a really no, that's a great idea for a really simple like game jam game where you, you're a bartender <laughs> and you choose what drink to give someone, and that's it. That's your only choice. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to judge it on character, and if they get too drunk, they might tell you something, they might <laughs> do something behind you. You've had too much. <laughs> Lots to play with there. Okay, here's another book title: um, Life of Pi. I read the book oh, before no, I watched the film, actually. actually. Is it journey-based? It is journey-based. Um, so the basic synopsis is that this boy is on uh, a ship um, from India to the US, I think. Um, his father owns um, a zoo, and they're shipping all the animals across, and the ship gets shipwrecked. Um, he's the only one who survives, along with... Uh, three animals, I think, one of which is a tiger. The mm-hmm. other two animals get eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, but he survives, um, with this tiger out at sea for a couple of weeks or so. Um, and so it's about his survival. It's got a nice little twist at the end as well. Okay. Um, which you maybe don't want to spoil, or? which I'm not going to spoil. Okay. <laughs> it's not actually important to the experience of yeah. the main part. So it's a game set on a very small boat with a tiger. Yeah. Um, interesting. Which is interesting, and it's about his survival. He comes across various kind of slightly magical, but sort of almost believable um, things out at sea. That's mm. um, one thing I love about books is that they can turn very minor things into really extended sort mm. of bravura pieces, like partly by really going into the psychology of the moment, but mm. just just somehow that, that's something you can do in a book. You can make yeah. something really little and you can really investigate yeah. it properly. And games yeah. are very bad at that because the player's always got to be doing something and if there's nothing for yeah. them to do, yeah. then the player well, gets I more think, done I think in the life of Pi, and I genuinely haven't thought of this one before, mm, I just sure. thought of it as a possibility to talk about just now, um, but you, you can imagine that it could do the video game survival thing of, and, and the 80 days thing of having time pass and have you survive while you're out at sea um, and you have to conserve your food, work out how to appease the uh, the tiger so that he doesn't want to eat you. So how do you, how are you going to find enough food to feed him, or how are you going to tame him, or whatever? And then the game could also have an arc in that you could go to a couple of different places, like islands or something, and see what you do there. Do you lose the tiger? Does he? Do you, Has he become your friend? Um, Mm. I guess it edges against that classic game design problem of the very harsh fail state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. Pretty unavoidable. Yeah. 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 On that note, though, I played this brilliant flash game called Cannibalism, the game of deliciously hard choices. And it's you and another guy in a boat, and time is going forward, and you've got this hunger bar. 
and you have to discern that this button that says resort to cannibalism and you have to wait just the right amount of time that the other guy is weak enough that you can kill him and eat him. But if you wait too long, he'll kill you. <laughs> it's not a very interesting game, but goddamn, is it funny? That reminds me a bit of my favourite pure game design game, which is Bill Bob. Um, oh, which, no, which, which no. appears in 80 Days of Hergen Jürgen. Uh, two rules. <laughs> Each player takes it in turn to say Bill or to say Hergen, and the first person to say Bob or Jürgen wins. So it's a pure game. There's absolutely no skill at all. It's entirely competition distilled down. And you play it with some people and they just say Bob. I don't get it. And those people are not interesting. And then you play with other people and you get this game where everybody says, well, can I risk saying Bill one more time or is he going to bob this time? And it can go on and it's very tense and exciting, but it's entirely fabricated. It's it's a really good example of how players... So apparently I'm a really boring person. I'm so sorry, It's a stupid game. (laughs) I think I agree. I've got one more book example. Oh, yeah? Um, Tintin. Ooh, oh, good one. Like the visual style, I would love to keep the, the visual style from the books. I, my only concern is just, am I, do I only find that exciting because I'm nostalgic about it? Because you grew up with Tintin. Yeah. What does Tintin yeah. do? I'm actually really it's struggling with sort of He does detective. detective. Yeah. A lot of them, but what does he actually do? In the moment to moment, he's kind of already knows where he's going, and he, then it's just stuff that happens. He sneaks into places a lot. He occasionally punches people. He does, yeah. Um, He's, he gets captured a lot, I think. He does. His dog does stuff. Like, do you yeah. play the dog or do you play as Tintin? No. Oh, the, he goes nice. on adventures. He does a lot of travelling. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I can't help but feel he's a bit bumbling. Like, it's never portrayed that way, but stuff kind of just happens to him. Like, mm. he'll walk in somewhere and then Captain Haggle just appear, because why yeah. not? And then somebody will say, oh, you know, there's a thing over there. So he'll just appear there and find something. And He's hey. definitely got that Harry Potter sort of slightly blank protagonist so yeah, no offense to Harry Potter super fans <laughs> out there but like you know Tintin is who it, it, it's, you are supposed to be Tintin as the reader mm. and, and that's it really yeah like here's a harder one Heart of Darkness if you've read that I don't know that one Conrad book now did Spec Ops the line cover it for all you alright for me they've totally nailed it already but okay. they don't do it literally they don't do the journey up the river and I think there's an interesting game. So it doesn't much happen if you journey up the Amazon River. Could you, like, do you stop off along the way? Do you meet kind of people who live there? Is it this wrestle crocodiles? Like, so, I can so, imagine it being an eight-day sorry, journey what, in 80 what, days. What, what's it about? <laughs> sorry, yes. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a bit of a concept story that really isn't about the river, and it's really about racism and colonialism. But it's about um, this sea captain who's told to um, go and relieve this guy. I can't remember if he's sent to relieve him or not, or... Just to make contact with this uh, this guy who's right in the heart of the Amazon jungle. Mm. And he travels up on this steamboat. Um, and the closer he gets, he sort of stops off and he meets all these people that run these ivory trade uh, sort of settlements, these camps. And they give him, they sort of paint the picture of Conrad, who's this elusive man at the heart of the river. And all of the incredible but terrifying things he's mm. done and how he's become one with the natives and the jungle. And suddenly Apocalypse Now doesn't seem like such a great movie, does it? Oh, I still think Apocalypse Now is wonderful. But it's the same. It's the same movie. Or the same book. Um, But I don't know how you'd... I mean, just travelling up the river is totally missing the point. Like, it isn't about travelling up the river. It's about Mm. racism and colonialism. But it's also... It's a picture of this one guy, isn't it? That it's sort of built up through his... Like looking at his footprints and what he's yeah, done, and the ramifications of what he's done, which isn't very active. Again, it gets into that problem of what's the player actually do. With, mm. like, I wonder if there is a game like a sort of detective, well, sort of like her story in a way, okay. where you're building a picture of this character, <laughs> and, and that's what you do. Mm. 
And you yeah. are kind of in awe of her in some weird way by the end. Like, you're in awe of what, like, has happened, mm. not to mm. give anything away. But it is impressive. And you really want to find out more. It's very compulsive the more you dig deeper. And I guess her story was the first game I've played where, like, it's totally driven by what I think is worth thinking about. So a game where you, you know, the, the pure detective game, you meet someone, they tell you something, and that gives you a question that you ask other people. And the game, the mechanic, is me mm. deciding which questions I think are worth asking this person. So maybe I land at my Amazonian really stock and I say, I've got three beats, question beats. Mm. How am I going to spend them? And that's essentially my result. It's interesting because Jonathan Blow talks a lot about discovery in The Witness and how it's all about things clicking in your own mind. And her story is like an even more pure version of that because it doesn't it doesn't confirm anything. It's all that's about true. your own journey of discovery of like... And what I, what I love about that particularly is that the, the discoveries you're making actually get quite subtle in that they get sort of, well, I think maybe this person and that person did this, but I'm not quite sure about that bit, but I get the rough shape of it. Mm. And so you end up with a very fuzzy theory, whereas mm. playing something like The Witness, you really do have to have an absolutely concrete theory yes. at the end of each section. Yeah. Like, there isn't any room for fuzziness. Mm. And in some ways, that's almost... Like, if the witness is making a political statement, it's quite a fascist statement. Like, <laughs> Boom! This is how things are. There is right yeah. and there is wrong. Whereas her story is very much kind of postmodernist. It's very kind of, we'll never really know the truth. Mm. You will never, even though it's all written down and it all happened, you're never going to know it. Mm. Like, you can only ever do a theory that you're kind of yeah. and you, and up to a point of understanding. And it really captures that, which is really interesting. But I just wonder if you can take that out of her story's contextual framework of being like, a crap database. I also <laughs> wonder how many games Zambala can make, which is the crap <laughs> database game. But <laughs> so, so the real question is: Is this generalizable as a concept, so that you can give uh, the player access to a wealth of information, but only a way to slice yeah, through that information in particular on particular ways? Yeah. I wonder also whether that's generalizable instead of to a, a database where you query it, or whether that's whether you could apply that to something more that's the, the shape of the witness, like you're on the island or something, mm. and you're, you can somehow explore it, and in different areas you'll find out different sets of things, perhaps depending on, on viewpoint or... Really interesting, actually, in a game where you are moving the whole time, like the Heart of Darkness example. If you're mm. on kind of a journey through a, through a place, and mm. you're constantly having to move forward for some reason. You've got to get mm. somewhere. There's just You can't just hang around. So you lose that that farming thing that people do in games. I mean, presumably you can do this in The Witness as well. You can just wander around as much as you like. Yeah. And like, but if you're constantly driving people forward so that when they ask questions of the world and of the people they meet, they've got to be worthwhile mm. because they just don't have much time. Mm. That could be really atmospheric. I can imagine a game where you sort of chart a single route and come out with a kind of a theory or a picture, but mm. how you get people to the end and feel that that was satisfying, I'm not sure. Cause yeah. In its way, her story is very open, actually. Yeah, That's exactly. True. I mean, I guess when you meet Conrad at the end of the river, I mean, the book is so interesting. In fact, the film and Spec Ops, the game, they're all interesting because when you meet the character, you've got this beautiful, like, clash of these two characters, the one that you've built up in your head and then the one that's mm -hmm. real. And that's what makes them powerful. And I actually don't know how you'd feel about that. If it happened to you in a game, you might just feel kind of... Oh, okay. What I had in my head was wrong. This right. is right because yeah, yeah, there yeah. it is. Yeah, I've got, it, I've got it wrong. It's broken. Yeah, because in the yeah, book it's all really authoritative. True. So you sort of I two treat and two characters. I mean, that is such an interesting experiment. Like, can you build something up in a player's head enough that when they meet the character in the game, they don't just think the game is broken or badly written, mm. but they actually think, oh, it's like a human being with different size to their character? Because <laughs> I don't know. People are so keen to go. 
the game really fell apart in the last third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Such a common reaction to game. Rather than, oh, it was subtle and interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, to wrap it up, um, if we could work on one book, but we don't actually need to make it market viable and all that oh, kind of no. stuff, what would it be? Oh, I, I've actually convinced myself on the life of Pi now. Yeah, <laughs> I want to make that. Just, oh, yeah. I mean, and if we don't have to worry about copyright, that's Right, the exactly, exactly. Mm. I, think, I think basically all of these things that we've mentioned yeah, we yeah, couldn't yeah, yeah, actually yeah, yeah. make. <laughs> I think for me, The Once and Future King by T.H. White, King Arthur. Ah, interesting. Tragedy. Yeah. Probably mm. not very interesting to play, but a great book. Tom? Um... What's your pick at the moment? Oh, I don't know. Maybe American Gods, but I have no idea how you do oh, it. But I like yeah. the themes a lot. But yeah, okay. I think I just like it. I don't think that's actually one I've made. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Boils yes. down to what's your favourite book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Inklecast. If you'd like to stay in touch with us, we're at Inkle Studios on Twitter, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs>